Okay, if you're a military veteran and want to learn more about the innovation ecosystem and how to participate in it as an investor, employee, or entrepreneur, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Those Who Dare podcast, where we amplify the voices of military veterans who consistently step outside their comfort zone, go above and beyond society's expectations. This series is brought to you by the team at AIN Ventures, a C-stage venture fund founded by Service Academy graduates. And we're doing that in conjunction with Ironbound Media, a podcast production studio for veteran-owned businesses. I'm your host, Sherman Williams, managing partner at AIN Ventures, where I oversee our venture fund, along with my co-founder, Emily McMahon. I'm a former naval officer, current venture capitalist, and someone who's committed to uplifting my community through education and inspiration by amplifying the voices of those who dare. So today, we're very excited uh, to talk uh, to uh, the man that's behind the scenes in all of this with respect to our podcast, and that's Michael Stedman. Um, He actually just uh, published a book uh, where he discusses veteran entrepreneurship. So I think it's really quickly... Um, Mike, the audience knows who you are from our previous podcast. So let's just jump into the name of the book, where people can find the book, and then we can talk about why you wrote the book. Yeah. So uh, again, always a pleasure to be here, chopping up with Sherman and Emily. Uh, the name of the book is Black Veteran Entre- Entrepreneur. Uh, uh, validate your business model, build your brand, and step into your greatness. I apologize, I stumble, y'all. I'm a bootstrap entrepreneur, and I'm a Renaissance man. So when people ask me, like, what do you do? It's kind of like even hard to kind of describe it, right? Because I coach boxing, I run a nonprofit, then I run Ironbound Media. But there's these other aspects of our lives we do. Uh, but the biggest thing I think about, I just try to make impact. I try to help people as best I can. And for me, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book was I got inspired by so many of the authors I've read previously. You know, Jim Collins. We just talked about Cal Newport and all these other you know, prolific writers. And you go back to like the Booker T. Washington and the Carter Godwin Woodson. And when I would start my entrepreneurial journey, I would walk into a bookstore, right? And there's all these different books up there, but I would very rarely see like a black author in the business section, right? And if it was a book, it was more about like the come up, right? Like just this kind of like inspirational story. But I'm like, I want frameworks. You know what I mean? Like I'm, that's all nice and dandy, but like I need, I want, I want a book about marketing and bootstrapping and like all this other stuff. Um, and so that kind of planted a seed in the back of my head, which actually led me to podcasting because I was thinking, well, even if I were to write these books and want to impact my audience, my community, would they even read it? You know, not necessarily from the sense they don't read, but more so of like, um, there's a lot in the publishing industry. We just don't have a strong presence in the business section. So I thought I could be able to reach more people with podcasting and audio, but there's just something about like the written word that I think is, I don't know, it's just very prolific. And so I wanted to write a book and I realized that one audience I knew I could affect more than any other were black veteran entrepreneurs um, because so many of them reach out to me mm-hmm. uh, just through the platforms I've been able to build with Bunker Labs, et cetera. And with content like this podcast and writing a book, now we're able to scale our knowledge in a way that you know we couldn't do you know a uh, hundred years ago. And I will tell you, this is when I knew this book was a good idea. So There's an association of African-American graduates at West Point. They call themselves Do More Together. And they reached out to me to sit on a panel um, for a pitch competition that they were hosting. And, you know, I'm a Naval Academy grad. So they were like, 
Jamel Robinson, who I fought in the national championship my senior year and beat and earned my three-time national championship, right? Jamal called me and said, Mike, we really would love you to be a, a, a judge on our pitch competition. He's like, you're seen out there. I think it'd be really impactful, whatever. Um, and I was going on vacation at the time, but I was like, you know what? West Point reached out, man. It's nothing but love. Let's go. So even while I was on vacation with my girlfriend in Grenada, I sat on his pitch competition. But one of the things that inspired me of all 10 ventures that pitched, all of them were focused on some form of social impact to their community, whether they were trying to start a after-school tutoring program, you know, a local nonprofit, an education program. There was this sense of like, we want to give back and we're trying to do it through entrepreneurship. And to me, I was like, these are guys and gals from the United States Military Academy. They got MBAs. Some of them got MBAs, et cetera. This is where their mind's at. And I was like, okay, what if we scale that? You know, mm -hmm. this idea that like, I think black veteran entrepreneurs are an overlooked opportunity for creating social impact in their local communities. And if I could write a book to share the knowledge I've learned along the way, getting beat up like Muhammad Ali, jaw been broke, been knocked down, you know, <laughs> came up through the trenches in the mud, right? Imagine the impact that other black veteran entrepreneurs will be able to make when they go back to their community, they start businesses, they hire locally. And so that was just one community I thought I could reach out and touch. And so I signed up for this program with the Creator Institute. I've been writing behind the scenes, came public uh, through the crowd, uh, through the, the pre-order crowdfund campaign. And honestly, I didn't know it was going to, I was kind of nervous about it. I didn't know how it was going to be received. Because, you know, it's like, oh, here we go. Black veteran entrepreneur, you know. Um, but I feel like the community has been super receptive of it. So we just mm -hmm. launched a pre-order campaign. It'll probably end by the time this podcast comes out. But the book is set to release in, in October. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. And one thing, um, let's level set here. You know, the black veteran entrepreneur community is not a small community. As a matter of fact, you know, I believe that the United the Department of Defense is the single largest employer of African-American men in the United States uh, for any single entity. Um, the federal government is a large employer of African-Americans. Right. And then uh, outside of, you know, uh, this is harsh, but sports, entertainment, um, you know, probably sports, entertainment, uh uh, and, and, and the prison population, there's very few areas where black people are overrepresented. Um, and the veteran population is one of those areas where African-Americans, particularly men, are overrepresented. So um, you're talking about a really large community. And to put that in context, there's 22 million veterans in the United States. Uh, and I believe a little bit north of 25% um, are, are African-American, mm -hmm. right? Um and that, you know, it's just pretty, you know, pretty significant there. So we're talking about actually pretty, you know, quite large, a quite a large population there. Uh, so that's, that's pretty interesting. So the impact that you're making is, is on a group of African-Americans that are one of the largest representations of that, particularly more so men um, from African-American men that exist in the United States. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so with respect to your book, um, do you have any other, I just threw out some, some information there and I have that information from the work we've done, um, uh, at AIN. What information do you have that relates to black veteran entrepreneurs, uh, from a statistical standpoint, how many are there, how well are they doing? What kind of business do they typically start, et cetera? 
because even though you say it's like a big group, when you start talking about black veteran entrepreneur, it's so small that they're still not, not I'm saying small in a sense that people haven't focused attention on it, but thankfully, well, I think it's Syracuse. What's the uh, Syracuse university. Yeah. yeah. They did a yeah. report. Right? A whole I, on this. One yeah. of the things that they were talking about in a report was, I don't remember the exact number of, of BBEs, but that of the businesses during the pandemic, right? Like 75% of them that were run by black veteran entrepreneurs are like, okay. Right. Yeah. Relatively to, you know, black businesses got decimated during the pandemic. I mean, 40% of black businesses nationwide ceased generating revenue during the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them had to close their doors. And so when we're talking about this kind of rebuilding phase and this inflation and all this other stuff, you know, for me, I just thought it was a no brainer, right? Like we've got black veterans spread out all across the country, mm-hmm. right? In communities such as Oakland, Newark, right? Everywhere else. And this book, I think is an opportunity to bring more attention to it too. And so when you think about like a tech product, like a tech product expands a category, builds a category. Like before Uber, nobody really knew what ride sharing was. And then all of a sudden there's this attention on ride sharing, right, as a thing. And I'm hoping that this book is like almost like a rallying call for a lot of BVEs to kind of wave their hands and say, hey, I'm out here, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, come about. Mm-hmm. And then also thinking through, you know, activating that network too. So it's like, what does that look like? So when we have these military veteran startup conferences and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. being able to say, hey, we've got a list. Let's reach out and make sure more people show up. So um, mm-hmm. I don't have the exact statistics on me at hand, but there is a lot of that history um, in the book. And what's interesting about me is people assume I got an MBA, but I do not. Right. I got mm-hmm. my master's in American studies from Rutgers. So I studied about race, ethnicity and gender. Um, and so, you know. I did my master's thesis on Booker T. Washington and the public historians. And I talked about how uh, public historians like myself, I consider myself a public historian. I just use a podcast and I write um, instead of teaching this out of a classroom. But a lot of these lessons learned, I mean, imagine like all these lessons, everything we're experiencing today with regards to business, race, and culture, it's already been written about. Like Booker T., Carter G., they gave us the playbook a long time ago. So tying that history into um, and showing like, hey, this is how people did it when they didn't have the Internet, <laughs> you know, and couldn't print money over Zoom. But they mm-hmm. were still hustling. They were still finding these niche markets. I talk about that history, too, in a chapter of the book. I mean, and not to give away all the secrets of the book so people actually read it. But what are what are some of the key takeaways that people that you want people to bring with them post reading your book? I think starting a business is a lot easier than people make it out to be. And that's not to say it's not going to be hard, right? Simple um, and easy are two different things. Like it's, it's simple. It's just not easy. Like how do you establish authority? Well, you write a hundred blog posts. That's, that's not easy, you know, but it's, it sounds so very simple, but for me, right. And I can go on my rant now <laughs> that I was about to go on before we went live. There's this like hustle porn, I call them, I don't have a name for it yet, pop culture groupie or whatever else, but picture the average veteran, right? They get out of the military and they say, I want to start a business. And what do they pick up? They pick up the four-hour work week. They pick up all these other, you know, books out there. I call it the pop culture entrepreneur, right? But the reality of it is, is like, that is not setting them up for success in my humble opinion, right? Business is about creating value for other people, and, you know, demonstrating it through a product or service, essentially. 
And you can start a business with a Google Doc, you know, a white paper or whatever, a list of 10 clients, and you just go out there and you start selling. So I want I want to make it real for people. And the other thing that I'm focused on too is that like a lot of BVEs are going to be bootstrapped and that's okay. I'm trying to tell them like, like that's okay. There's still a way around it to build a successful, sustainable business. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give them a roadmap to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. I think everyone who reads this book is going to have an understanding at the very least of how to close their first 10 customers and beyond. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I would like to hear more, Mike. I mean, I don't, I don't think, um, a lot of people appreciate just how hard it is to write and how hard it is to, um, you know, you're, you're so good verbally, obviously, but then to, uh, translate that and convey that in writing. Can you talk about some of the, you know, the challenges of that, or maybe it wasn't a challenge for you, but for most folks who sort of, you know, just read the product and see the final thing, like, what is, what did that take for you to kind of get that, um, into written form and what does that process look like? Um, for the person who, you know, has never experienced it, aside from maybe writing for, you know, school or blogs and stuff. Yeah. It starts an existential crisis. It's terrible. (laughs) Like it's brutal. Right. Um, And I will tell y'all, I don't think I've told this people, but I've been taking writing courses behind the scenes Mm -hmm. for the past almost year. Right. Like since COVID, I did a Mm -hmm. program called ship 30 for 30. So I was sending, I was writing an essay every single day and posting on my Twitter thread. I paid like $500 for that course. Mm-hmm. One of my classmates from the Naval Academy, a guy named Mikoto Yoshida, um, mm-hmm. him and I were writing twice a week. So we would jump on Zoom and we were writing. So I have, my first book was actually going to be Confessions of a Native Son. So that's mm-hmm. what I was prepping as the first book. But um, I ended up having this opportunity to come across the Creator Institute where they help you publish a mm-hmm. book. You do it in a cohort and everything. And the book I originally was going to do was that Confessions of a Native Son. And so going back since January of 2021, I've been writing every day hmm. for the most part, but it has been off and on. But what does that look like? Describe like, you know, every day, like, what is that in the morning, you know, midnight, what, are you on a Google doc? Like, what is your, just like that practice even look like for folks who might not appreciate? Yeah. Know? When I first started, it was really just like on social media or something, you know, it's like, make it easy. Right. Um, I got this book by a guy named the guy that runs ship 30 for 30. His name is Nicholas Cole. And one Mm -hmm. of the things he talked about in web 3.0 was writing in public. So, you know, you find your voice in public by seeing what resonates, et cetera. And old way was like, Oh, you write a blog and then you expect people to come to your blog. And, but it's like, now it's like, you go right where people are, you build an audience and then you send them to your blog. So Mm -hmm. I really just kind of started writing little stuff on social media, nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started to learn how writers think about stuff of these like brain dumps. So mm-hmm. you got to write without editing and it's just blah, it's just trash. Right. But what you're doing is you're just getting in the habit. But you know, I was doing that for a little bit. I was listening to audio books and everything. And then once I joined the creator Institute, we would meet every Wednesday and they just had us capture stories. Mm-hmm. So I had to, t- like I was writing everywhere, my notepad, whatever. But then when it came time to the book, they were like, yo, you got to get a first draft done. And it's got to be submitted by like March 4th. And that's what started the existential crisis because <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah. you see why people don't write books, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, it can draw on. I mean, you're going internal, all this other stuff. And yeah. even before we went there, I was like, this is going to be harder than I thought. Confession of a native son is deep. That's like some soul searching kind of stuff. Let me write, let me make it easy for this first one. Cause I want to write multiple books like Jim Collins, 
Peter Drucker. Those are the people I like. And so let me go through the process of writing this book. And there was a point where I was like, I'm not going to get the first draft done. I was just like, woe is me. I got to run my business. There's a lot going on. I was just like, I, I turned into to puddle. You know, I just turned into mashed potatoes. I was like, it ain't happening. But thankfully, my girlfriend reminded me, she was like, you're not writing this book to get like, a, I don't know. You're not trying to get put on a pedestal. You're trying to go through the writing process. Mm. That's what you originally signed up for. You wanted to learn how to write a book. And so yeah. I pushed and I got the first draft in and was able to launch the uh, pre-order campaign. And, you know, yeah. here we are. But it is hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I just, yeah. Even now, right? Like I recruited one of my classmates. Her name's Alana Abernathy. And she's going to be one of my co-authors because she's helping me edit. Yeah. Well, it's just two comments. One is I think there's such fascinating similarities between writing and entrepreneurship. Well, it is in a lot of ways, like the mm-hmm. process, the um so starting yeah and then and then the the voice in your head all of those pieces you know and and uh i I think there's so many fascinating examples of just like that component and like the mental component of writing that a lot of people don't see and there's different ranges and experiences that you hear about but the second piece i'm also interested to hear more i mean for most people that are kind of post-school postgraduate school writing and I'm not even going to call it editing, but writing with an, an audience that's critical um, from like almost like a grading or social media, you know, commenting. Like, can you talk about and maybe you haven't done this yet in, in detail, but like writing for for editing and sort of getting through gates and sort of what that process is like as well? Yeah, it's it's tough. And that's why I had to recruit Alana to kind of help me out, um, because it's hard enough to write as it is. And then have someone critiquing your writing. You got to do right. this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And we're not in school no more. So right. it's not like this is some just like, oh, 15 page paper. You get someone to edit and then you turn it in. You know, it's like this is how you're kind of showing up to the world and it could feel overwhelming. And so one of the nice things about the Creator Institute, though, is they do give you a uh, developmental editor. But honestly, it was hard for me to even go back and read that stuff because I'm so focused on I got to get to the next chapter. Right. You know, right. Um, right. and so. Right. I think that is also the power of like our community. And I started talking to, you know, peers of mine and they're like, Mike, you should talk to Alana. And I already knew Alana was an English major at Navy. And so I start reaching out to her and start sending her my stuff. And so she's been helping me. And then, like I said, Yoshi, he's been helping me. So writing in a community um, has been like, it's, it's, it's super impactful. Well, and that's, I just wanted to say, it's just like so fascinating in that, you know, with writing, you know, you say you get an advance and then you go away and you do it. And then you really don't see the, the, the reaction until, um, you know, it's out there. Right. And so talk about like how much delayed gratification and focus and just the mental toughness you have to have in order to keep going through that and sort of waiting and whether it's going to be a success. And I'm putting this in air quotes for those who can't see me or not. Um, I just think it's a fascinating process. I mean, most of the folks that Sherman and I are working with, it's all about speed and sort of like making that contact, I'll just say, with the enemy and sort of being able to pivot and pivot quickly and get that data, right? So you're you're moving very fast and trying to get as much reaction as possible. Um, and I just, I think it's fascinating that world of writing where you might never get, you know, you might not get any response for say a year, two years or however long, depending on the type of book you're writing and research and um, so I just think it's a fascinating, there's fascinating comparisons, as you mentioned to some of the folks, Jim Collins, and just 
almost like the process and the, and the habits that those folks have, I think are very um, applicable to entrepreneurs as well. And, and really just people in general, which you obviously are, are showing us. So, yeah. And it's been all behind the scenes too. So like, I didn't go, like, I was, I like to think that I'm like very confident person. I accept an enormous amount of risk. You know, I got a business coach. I spend money on stuff like that, but I will not lie. The week I had to launch the pre-order campaign, I was at my wits end. Yeah. You know, because it was super tedious. It's getting the Indiegogo and stuff set up. And it's not like life stopped, right? Like I was on, I was in Nashville, Tennessee with Barker Labs for their quarterlies talking about the podcast. And I had to fly out to see Bill and I was just overwhelmed and stressed. And literally I was up with my developmental editor until like 1155 the night before the uh, pre-order was supposed to go live. And there was a little kind of hesitancy in me of like, how is this going to be received? Um, mm. but I said, you know what, I'm going to push. And like, we were able to fund the book within 24 hours, which I was caught off guard by. Um, and what I learned through that, so this is something interesting, right? Mm. Over the years I've made time for people and have not charged them. So jumping on a phone call or mm. whatever. And you know, I'm, I, I like to think I'm good at podcasting and brand strategy. So people reach out to me and yeah. there've been times where I'm like, should I charge for this? You know, I'm like, I ain't got no more in me. But let me tell you, when I launched that crowdfund, these were some of the first people to support. And it just it just resonated yeah. with me about like putting that positive energy out into the universe and just being a good human. Like you said, that's going to like reciprocate. And so like I was telling that to my kids the other day in the gym, you know, I got a boxer and he's thinking about charging for X and he's planning to go pro. I was like, what if you don't charge these people for stuff? Because guess what? When you go pro, they might be the first ones to buy your tickets and stuff. And so that really just kind of opened my eyes of just like that energy. I was literally blown away by it. So now I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm self-conscious about it. Yeah. Some of the best things I think that have ever happened in my life. Um, and I've really been able to experience this since I left investment banking. Some of the best things that have happened to me have things that I've done for free. And, you know, irrespective of timing, um, it hasn't been that long since I left banking, but things came back around and it, it became a monetary opportunity, became a connection opportunity that can lead to even more money, right? Um, it's been just remarkable. Um, you know, I, I work with the Techstars folks a ton here in LA and we have this model of give first, right? Um, and I, I really do, Emily's a big fan of, of Brad Feld. Um, yeah, he's great. Um, I read all yeah. his stuff. Yeah, and I really, I really do believe in that 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 give first mentality. Um, just approaching things, and also approaching things with an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mindset. So it's not take, take, take. It's like there's there's plenty out here. Let me just go out here, do my part, do my best, do my thing. You know, if there's no money involved, that's okay. I, I'm passionate about this. Let me go ahead and do it and do it to the best of my ability. And but things have inevitably things have come back around and, and worked out. So it's just pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I do want to say, too, I think um, I don't want people to think just because the book is titled Black Veteran Entrepreneur, that that's uh, that's the only person that's going to get value out of it. You know, one of the things I've learned as a brand, guys, you've got to identify your kind of niche, too. And I just mm -hmm. felt like, again, of all the communities, I feel like I could reach out and touch and make the biggest impact. That was one I knew I had the ability to do so. But mm -hmm. all the principles I put in that book, that's for every entrepreneur. I just mm -hmm. wanted my community to see something for them. You know, where you walk and you be like, damn, that's for me. You know, like pick it up. They're like, right out, yo, 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 you gotta tell. Them. That's kind of what I wanted to go for. And I'm 
I am excited to go to these black bookstores and uh, mm. around the country and just mm. have talks about my book. You know, go to Philly and go to these different spots. I think that's going to be uh, really impactful. So, like, I'm not trying to monetize. It's not really about monetizing the book. It's about making an impact. And a lot of entrepreneurs I look up to, they left a trail for us. You know, you know who Jason Freed is, the guy from uh, 37 Signals? Yeah. Wrote the book yeah. Uh, Rework. And they've got all this great, like, I, that stuff is super valuable for me. And yeah. so that's yeah. an entrepreneur I want to be. Yeah. So that was the question I wanted to ask you is who, who are the authors that have inspired you? Um, you know, we were talking about that a little bit before, you know, so could you share more about the people that you aspire to be like, or that you're inspired by? I really enjoy Jim Collins. Um, you know, his good to great, great by choice, that whole series. And I just think it's impactful that somebody can write like six books and these are like the most prolific books ever. And like, you don't see them out there on 30,000 different videos, hustling all the time. He just writes a book and lets it speak for itself. I also like Seth Godin, too. I think he writes. But those are more like a lot of people are more aware of them. I spend a lot of time reading. Uh, they're called indie entrepreneurs. So a lot of times they're like bootstrapped entrepreneurs that kind of share their story. And so it's like a Jason Freed uh, from the 37 Signals. Um, I got this book right here, and I was able to interview him on a podcast today. His name's Justin Jackson, and he has a book called uh, Marketing for Developers. And he created the the uh, he created the software we host our podcast on Transistor without venture capital, and was able to get it up to over 100k in revenue per month. You know, just him and his co-founder. So people like that—that's who I mm. really like uh, reading about. Mm. Mm. Um, and I just think it's cool that that I like that entrepreneur model of like, hey, mm. we run a business, we share our lessons learned, we build mm. a community. That's the kind of person I want to be. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I do the kind of content and stuff that I do. Yeah. You know, Emily, we got to bring Mike into uh, to some of our, our brainstorming discussions around AIN and how to maximize what we yes. do for the community, for the yeah. community academy. I agree. Mike, I love everything you're, I'm picking up everything you're, you're putting down, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm African-American. I'm, I, I'm an entrepreneur. Starting a fund is an, is an entrepreneurial endeavor. Emily's a woman. She's starting a fund. This is an entrepreneurial endeavor. I, this is Emily's like, fourth startup. Uh, I'll say seventh because she's also got three kids. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and a husband. So that's like eight. I was going to say, well, we'll put him in there too. So don't, hopefully eight, you won't hear this. <laughs> eight kids. Uh, or eight, or eight, eight startups yeah. for Emily. So like, um, what are some of the, what are some of the things, you know, that you took from your time in the military that relates to entrepreneurship that that that, that is helpful there but, and, and and speaking and let's be very specific let's talk about even being a, a black veteran entrepreneur what are some of the specific things that you've taken from that experience uh and then i love to hear you know, emily's emily's kind of you know as a as a female as a woman um you know what are some things you've taken from your experience that yeah. make you you know a better entrepreneur what and actually let's be let's just Go, be all the way real here. Yeah. What are some of the things, whether it be imposter syndrome, et cetera, Mike yeah. and Emily, that you guys have dealt with that have been a hindrance to you yeah. uh, being yeah. a female and black veteran yeah. entrepreneurs? Well, it's funny, Sherman, because I actually had that question is like, I'd like to hear more about the black veteran piece. And like, I'd like to hear more about your experience and sort of how that's, how that, um, 
like you like what is that like what what's unique about it and what might people not know you know um and so yeah so and i'm happy to do that as well sherman and talk about it from the female perspective so i think it even goes back to why i moved to newark new jersey to do the work i do now is because i was a you know for a lot i grew up in a single parent home in texas and all our parents all our mamas and grandmas and i wasn't the only one right we didn't have a lot of father figures around all they wanted us to do was be go to college and be successful, right? So then I ended up going to the Naval Academy and being a boxer and serving my country, being a Marine officer. But when you're – I was an infantry officer, and I felt like a tree in the woods. It's like if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it or sees it, does it make a sound? And so it's like, yeah, you're successful, but, like, as an infantry officer, I just wasn't around my community. I wasn't around a lot of people that looked like me. So when I got out, I relocated to Newark as a way to kind of give back to more mm. young men and women of color. Mm. So when you become a, a, I assume that when I became an entrepreneur, you know, that there would be more, you know, as these programs start popping up like Bunker Labs and Stanford Ignite and all these other stuff, yeah, that sure. there would be more of us, right? Then you end up going to these programs, you're one-on-one, you know? So when I did Stanford Ignite in 2017, I was the only black male. Wow. Um, and this really? is three, yeah. This is a amazing, oh. only black male. I'll show you the picture. <laughs> and the other thing, too, was I was nervous when I went out there. I was like, oh, Mrs. Stanford. I didn't really know much about it. But thankfully, one of my classmates, Luke Finney, was the one that put me on it. And he yeah, was like, yeah. he's like, Mike, you should do this program. And at the time, right, it was Stanford. I'm coming from Newark. I had already started to adopt my Mohawk fade. And my frat brothers were like, yo, cut your hair. You cannot go out to Stanford with a Mohawk fade. You got to. You know, be buttoned up, clean, Marine officer. And I, I regretted it. I regret it to this day, but I did it, right? Cut my hair. Because at that time, I was still like, mm-hmm. I was in my early days as an entrepreneur. You know, imposter syndrome was real. But I would also do all these other programs over the years, Bunker Labs and stuff, et cetera. And a lot of these programs, I was one of one, you know, still. But people would see you and they'd be like, Mike, tell me more about this Bunker Labs or... Tell me more about this. So you realize that I was going through this path and people were, were curious about, you know, learning more. But I saw that say is that like that consciousness of the responsibility that comes with being, having a platform, being one of one, you know, mm-hmm. how you act, how you move. And he, even with me on my podcast, Sherman would tell me, he's like, Mike, you got a platform now. You know, he's like, people are watching you. And so it's like, I don't necessarily think uh, other founders can move in the way that, Black founders move, let alone black veteran entrepreneurs. Like I think about the WeWork situation. Do you imagine the black founder getting like a hundred million dollars or billion dollars in funding with weed and everything else on the airplane? They would be like, cut, get him out of here. You know? And so for us, I just feel like we have to move. I just feel like we're not given the same amount of, I don't know, leeway on our mistakes, right? And but I then, but then the ones, I mean, you know the ones that do make it through are wildly exceptional. And that's, that's the case for any minority group, pretty much dealing with a major, majority, pretty, probably that this ring rings true throughout the planet, right? It's that minority group is going to have to be two, three times as good, five times as good and has much less uh, slack, right. To deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- would you not agree with that? No, I agree. I think it, I think yeah. it comes with the, ter- unfortunately it comes with the territory, but what I was going to say too, Emily, is this, uh, the impact you have on other people, you know, 
Like, yeah. it makes me, I don't know, like, sometimes you can get a little emotional about it, but when people see you, right, they see you in a different light, like a mentor, like you feel something in them because they don't get to see that every day when you're winning. When I won the Street Shares Foundation yeah. grant, I won like 25000 from a Mark Rockefeller yeah, yeah, yeah. Street Shares Foundation. Yeah. So many black veteran entrepreneurs hit me up and said, Mike, you don't know how good it felt to see you on that stage. Like they, they, like they live vicariously through you. No different than like Joe, you know, Joe Lewis back in the day when he used to win the heavyweight championship of the world. So you show people what's possible, um, but carrying that burden, I call it the black man's burden. This idea Mm -hmm. of like everywhere we move, everywhere we go, especially those of us that are successful, there's Mm -hmm. just this immense pressure Mm -hmm. to like, Mm -hmm. say be perfect, but be, Can can I ask a question just on the theme? Like, who are the black authors that you admire and have sort of like um, paved the way or, you know, you look up to? um, So it's funny, right? This author was someone that when I was coming up, people didn't necessarily uh, like. And it was Booker T. Washington. Right. So depending on, you know, where you fall. Right. People tend to uh, discredit a lot of Booker T. Washington's uh, early writings because of. You know, during the Jim Crow and segregation, Booker T was much more like, hey, let's, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of talk. And people were like, we got racism. We got the KKK running right here. You're talking about pick ourselves up by the bootstrap. What's the matter with you, man? But you go back and read his stuff, and he was laying a playbook out for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I like the Jim, the uh, James Baldwin as well, mm-hmm. just kind of showing the human experience. But, you know, for me, as I become an entrepreneur, I feel like there's a balance, right, between, like, writing literature that doesn't necessarily make you feel good, but also, like, what are we going to do? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. how can we, I don't know, uplift people? And yeah. so I like authors that give playbooks like that. So Carter G. Woodson, Booker T. Washington, um, mm-hmm. who else? Uh, W.B. Du Bois. So a lot of those early black thought leaders, that's mm-hmm. who I look up to as well. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And just interesting, because I feel like that's an important question as well. Like, you know, who, what other authors should we be reading or learning about or just hearing from you as well? And like, um, I think that's important. So, yeah. Emily, what you as a, as a woman, can you answer those same questions uh, as, a, as a female um, veteran entrepreneur? Yeah. And I think You're a serial entrepreneur, too, you keep. You seem to keep doing it. Well, and it's it's almost like it's hard in a way because I feel like um, I don't often, um, I have to be honest, I don't often like sit and reflect about it in terms of, um, in terms of like, oh, okay, I'm a female and I'm a female veteran. If I'm honest, um, you know, I think of it more as like, um, I think of it more actually as our era, like post 9-11 generation. I think of those challenges and some of those things. But if I did have to comment on being a female, I think one of the things that's hard is just recognizing that um, it's, I think, you know, we talk a lot about empathy and sort of looking at things from other people's perspectives. I think that's really very difficult to do, in my opinion, because you only have your experience. And so the one thing I will say when it comes to like, you know, listening to your experience, Sherman or Mike, or like what it's like, or what, you know, what is just like believing it, I think is probably the biggest thing I would say. And and I think a lot of times one of the disconnects, and I think in, in current day is um, when people share their experience, people are like, well, that's not my experience. So it must not be true. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, don't even try to like go in the other person's shoes. It's just like, 
just like listen and say like, okay, I hear you. And I'm, I'm not like, like discrediting it, I would say in some extent, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that female minority, I think that is like a huge piece in terms of that. Um, I will say, and, and, you know, candidly, I think one of my biggest challenges that I've um, thought about as a woman is I used to joke a lot, um, you know, as long as you could run fast in the army as a woman, you were kind of like legit and okay. And I think um, that was something I used to joke is like, well, thank goodness I can run fast because now I have a seat at this this proverbial table, right? But, you know, if I ran less than a 10 minute mile, it's like I'd be, so there's elements of being a woman, I think, and sometimes um, you're like, oh, she's one of the guys or she's this, right? I think that those are the pieces that I definitely felt um, probably, you know, trying just to sort of more blend in and fit in and sort of conform, but you, you can't, like, you're not, I'm not a guy, I'm not a man, you know, like, I'm going to be yourself, but you also have to sort of recognize, like, I'm a minority, like, I am not, um, you know, it, it's like recognizing those differences, but not trying to like blend into the walls where you ultimately disappear is my point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and, and keeping your sense of self, um, in that process. And I think, I think that's something that I learned in the beginning, um, at, at like going to West Point and stuff is like, I'm different, um, and, and, and unique as a woman, but, um, but like, it's also just relating. I mean, the reality is, as you're, um, as you're serving and leading in the army, you know, you're, you're, you're leading, um, like for me, it's like majority males as well. So it, it's like just understanding like some of the differences and some of the, um, you have to be able to sort of take a bigger perspective, I would say, with respect to race and gender and all of those things and like collaboration and difference of opinion. I'd even see geography as a piece, like people coming from all over the country is a huge piece as well. And like, how do you kind of assemble all of those backgrounds? So, um, you know, I think the piece I will say, you know, um, Mike, you said with respect to like, you know, you, you kind of have to look perfect or do some of those things. The one thing I will say, and Sherman, you brought it up as a as like a mom and stuff is I do feel like, I mean, my husband, Caleb, is amazing. And I feel like, um, gosh, like, you know, I, I hit the lottery in terms of spouses and being able to do what I do as a result of him in a way and like our, our relationship and partnership. Um, but I do feel like as a woman, one thing that's helped me is you do just inherently with kids think like three steps ahead. You're constantly like thinking through impact and thinking through those types of things. And I do feel like for a lot of my, um, a lot of the females I know, that is just like inherent in part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. And like for me, it's like those are skills that are so um, so useful in a startup, in operations, in a company, and like... Um, you know, how, how do we get more women to realize those are superpowers that you do? And mm-hmm. like, how do you scale that? And it's mm-hmm. not um, like that, that's something that's so valuable. And, and I'll just extend this comment for a second, because I feel like it's hard for me to talk about female entrepreneurs and like the military spouse community that I often feel like it's overlooked. And it's like, um, when you start to sort of bring that community together and see the superpowers in, the, in that community, um, and what they do on behalf of DOD um, in terms of just like, you know, supporting their, their spouse um, in terms of, you know, deployments and activities and all that stuff. But like that is a superpower community as well that I feel like often gets overlooked. And I know a lot of initiatives are in play right now to try and bring that community 
um, kind of more to the forefront. Um, Instant Teams just raised a $13 million uh, seed, seed, uh, Series A and um, has been getting a lot of attention. Like we need those types of stories and sort of that, um, th- those people to look to, to say, okay, like I can do this too. And I think that's a huge piece as well for this community, or at least being a female is like having those examples and people to look to um, and, and through different programs and, and media and just examples. So, and Sherman, mm-hmm. I, I like to hear from you as well. I mean, I feel like, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, starting and growing a venture firm it's the same. So I'd yeah. like to hear from your experience, I, which is, you know. Yeah. So, so for me, um, like a black veteran entrepreneur, I never, I, you know, I, 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 I digest things and kind of, I don't know, my mental algorithm for this and how to handle things is a little bit different from, mm. from you, Mike, I guess a little bit. And, um, I, or at least the way I would articulate it is maybe, yeah. maybe it's the same, but it's the way I articulate it. So when it comes to like race and, and, and the way you need to move through the world and you don't get that slack to me, I just feel like, well, I, just, I already knew that was the deal. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just, I, I just don't even think about like, to me, I don't complain and it's not not that complaining is bad, but I don't even. I've done things in life in the Navy that I didn't succeed at. Um, yeah, Naval Academy, uh, growing up, um, post Navy, that didn't work out for me. I failed a lot of things, and I knew that I was at least as good as some of the other people. But if it didn't work out for me, oh, because you weren't twice as good. Well, the game that I went into, I knew I had to be twice as good. So I was like, ah, well, it is just it is what it is. I just wasn't twice as good. But for everything that I go into, I try to be, you know, I know that I need to be two, three, four, five times as good. Now, I think, that, you know, I was just, uh, we're going to have a future podcast guest, Kenny Beasley. You know, I was with a dinner with him last night. And what you can do is you can try to change the game that you play, right? Uh, so you don't play, you're not always playing someone else's game. So you're not put into that construct where you always have to be this so much better. Yeah. And so I, 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 I actively intentionally think about that. Let me change the game that I'm playing, yeah. right? Because this game, I'm starting off, you know, this dude got two, has two remote controllers. I have one. I'm, I, this is not going to work out for me, yeah. you know? I want to hear a move. Do you know what? The B yeah. key in the game, yeah. and I'm trying to, and I'm trying to play the fight game, and it's, it's just not working out for me. So I, I, yeah. I want to stop you right there. So Emily, this yeah. is the difference between me and Sherman. Yeah, Sherman, I was very naive when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So like Sherman's parents probably told him, and he listened. And I was very much, you know, grandma, grandma. That's oh, y'all ain't talking, you know. I want to give. So I didn't. I thought I didn't have to be twice as good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I ran up mm-hmm. against it. Right. Which is why I also appreciate entrepreneurship. And even with this book, I'm on that mentality. Just be so good. They can't ignore you. You know, just just I was told that I was told that growing up repeatedly yeah. in my household. Um, yeah. And I. I just knew that that was the case. And in times when I see a lot of people, whether it be African-Americans, women, um, and you know, Latinos, whatever have you, in certain positions. Hell, even your white running back or 
cornerback or safety or basketball player where you, you know, I mean, there's doubts, you know, you have questions. Why is this person here? Mm. Right. Mm. And, right. Mm. And they have to be, I mean, you just know you have to be a baller. You have to be twice as good. You have to be just consistently aware, right. Mm. Of, 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 you know, the kind of the, um, the environment that you're walking into. So for me, that's how I manifest it. I'm always trying to be that much better. And so I, yeah. I think, so when it doesn't work out for me, I don't think like, oh, it's a racing or whatever. I, I, I purposefully, and maybe this is a, you know, this is not great for mental health, but I, I just mm. put it on myself. Like, mm. I messed up. Mm. like mm. that was on me because here's the deal with you knowing this, this is the case that you need to be twice as good. And it doesn't work out for you, but you were at least as good as some of those people, which is not twice as good. If you're getting upset, well, you knew what the game was when you got here. So that's right? it. So, 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 so I try not to, I try not to get upset, but what I, okay. my bad, Mike, I am always trying to play a slightly different game or trying to create something a little bit different hmm. than others. Right. I mean, even with, with respect to AIN and some other things that I want to do in life, I'm trying to do do something a little bit different because if I'm if I'm constantly mm. the problem is when you get put on this track mm. um, of you're gonna do the standard corporate job or whatever, inevitably you are playing someone else's game, right? There are people who have broken through that look like me. Extremely few, like extreme few of them have actually truly broken through, and that is that is by design. Right, because they were playing someone else's game to some degree, mm. right? Like I have a, um, you know, I have a really uh, good friend. Uh, she was uh, she was actually a comp sci major at Princeton. She's like one of three females in her department, and she's had horror stories, like horror stories. She graduated college around the same time I graduated college, right? Yeah. Um, there's no bash on Princeton, by the way, but I'm just saying it's just anecdotally what one what a person told me, and. You know, when I'm when I was listening to the story, I had empathy, but I was still kind of like, man, mm. you kind of knew what this was gonna be when you got here. So mm. my thing is, if you don't want to deal with that, then you 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 shouldn't even you shouldn't mm. even, you almost shouldn't play the game. Well, right? and I'll say, or sorry, Mark, Mark. No, you go ahead. Emma. I was just gonna say, I just something's resonating with me in terms of some of the stuff you're saying. So I branched military police, and Sherman's heard this, you know, a nauseum as my as my partner. But I kind of deliberately picked a branch that I knew was very female friendly. And one of the things that was really mm-hmm. impactful is I came into a community that I knew they're like, we don't care. Like they really, and, they, and I have to say like the MP, the MP branch in particular is very, they were very forward at that time in terms of like males, females, it doesn't matter. And I, I honestly feel like I was also, and I'm going to use the word indoctrinated into that. Like I was coached, like, this is how it is. And this is what we do and don't do. But they were very forward thinking compared, I feel like, to the rest of the army at that time. And there's obviously been changes made with women in combat and so forth. But um, to that point, Sherman, it's like, you know, you, you do know what you're getting into, but I will say, you know, from the I, I, I appreciate your comments, though, about like playing your own game, play, you know, playing your like doing your thing that, you know, that you can be in control. And the thing about Sherman, if Sherman never has any self-pity, never has. I mean, you're just like one of the most determined, dogged, visionary people like I've ever met. And it's it's it really interesting to hear your perspective, because I'll be honest, Mike, 
these conversations are so good just to even hear Sherman and hear his like, you know, perspective on things. But I just want to, I just wanted to insert that in terms of uh, kind of knowing what you're getting into, because that really resonates with me. And there's, there's choices that you have to sort of be, know that you're making is it's important. Yeah. But I was going to say, I think I'm getting to where Sherman's at now, just in a different level. Right. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's interesting about the civilian world is that like, in the military, like if you got weaknesses, cover down on your weaknesses, you know, bring mm -hmm. them up. But the civilian world, especially for entrepreneurs, sometimes you got to play to your strengths mm -hmm. and bring other people in to take mm -hmm. care of the weaknesses. And mm -hmm. for me, I do not put myself in positions to lose. Right. So going back to like what Sherman said, it's like true, if right? there's an environment and they're like, oh, Mike, you should come to this program. And I'm like, I don't know <laughs> if I can look there and I'm just like, listen. Like, like he said, corporate America, there's a ceiling at some point. If at this level, people that have been around for 20 years, you only have like one African-American left. That's not my game. I already knew corporate America would not be my game. So mm -hmm. I never played, right? Mm -hmm. I came to Newark. I've done my thing. And then even around my entrepreneurship hustles and everything, like, I feel like I've always been in environments. And this is what I will say. I appreciate it about the veteran community that accepts me and lets me be me mm -hmm. with my beard and my Mohawk fade. So when I had a chance to go back to Stanford this time, I didn't cut my hair. I walked in. They had my little name tag, Iron Mike, Hoover. Yeah. And I was just like, I felt like I had agency. So right. everywhere mm -hmm. I go, everywhere I yeah. move, it's yeah. very important for me to have agency. Right. And I just want them to make sure that, like, you're bringing me, Mike Stedman, and all of me. Like, you want me to bring my full self. And I try to be particular about even the clients I work with or mm -hmm. where I go. And so honestly, Emily, like you said, like these days I spend more of my time focusing on the things I have control over versus those things right. I don't. Right. And I, and I will yeah. say something where, because of, of us three, I took the more traditional path mm -hmm. um, post, you know, going to business school and I went to investment banking after business school. Which right. has such a, I mean, you yeah. know what you're getting yeah. into. Yeah, you know what you're getting into. 100 hour, I mean, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, but, but my thing is, when I, when I was in investment banking, part of me was, I'm extracting out of this. You know, we have this thing in the Navy. Well, I, I think they're probably saying the Army, but the Navy's a big thing. Use the Navy as much as the Navy's going to use you. The Navy's going to, you know, suck the Navy for everything. Education benefits, VA benefits, every everything you can, right? Because the Navy is definitely going to get a lot out of you, right? Um, and so when I was in corporate America, effectively, I was extractive. I was just trying to get all the lessons learned. I'm trying to get on all the projects. I mean, I thought some people thought I was crazy, right? The hours I would work and I would always be trying to jump into different things because I was trying to learn, learn, learn. I knew, I always knew that it wasn't for me, right? right? This is not for me. This is not designed for me. But I'm a, I feel like there's valuable things to learn here. Mm. I'm going to learn every single thing I can. So when I go off and start to play my own game and do my own thing, right, I, or, or just a different game, I have all of these valuable lessons learned that, that, I, that I've been able to gather, right, from, from this time, right? And I, so I, think, I do want to say uh, to people that are listening, there is some benefit about going that regular path for a short amount, but you always need, I, I tell people, I went to the University of Chicago Booth for business school. I feel like the smartest people in my class at Booth, they went banker consulting, who went, who, who happened to go banker consulting. Some of the smartest people never, did not do that, but um, the smartest people who did go banker consulting, they already had their next move lined up. They knew they were going there for a year and a half, two years, and they were going to go do something else. 
right? Um, they were just trying to extract some of that value, some of those lessons learned uh, out of that, out of that experience. So, I, I mean, and you know, I, I there's going to be pushback to what we're saying, but I mean, Emily, you're saying it. Um, I've heard a lot of other women say what you're saying, where you're like, hey, I feel like this is the, this is the branch for me and other, and other branches. I just feel like they don't want me here, you know? And, you know, and, and the same thing you said, you basically said the same thing, Mike and Mike, I'm saying the same thing. Right. And, you know, three, three doesn't necessarily make a trend, but I think there are a lot of people who are minorities that would agree with us when it comes to corporate America, whether it be the military, whatever have you, you know, there's certain things that you just, Hey man, you just well, don't feel welcome. And you know, yeah. you, you know, just being as good as other people is not enough. Right. Like you're going to be twice as good right. if you're going to excel at that. Yeah. It just kind of is what it is. I don't trip because I'm like, I know my self-worth, right? I'm my own MVP, my most valuable player. So I know my self-worth. So I know I'm good. Like you can, you can say whatever you want, bro. I got a higher score than you or my score (laughs) scores were the same. Right. And you know, it is, it is what it is. Right. Like, I mean, it just didn't work out for me. Hey man, it is what it is, you know? So, Um, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with this thought for a second. And I think the other piece is like, so you mentioned it, Mike, with belonging, like the sense of like, I belong here. I, you know, that, that I think for me has been really key. And when I feel like just use the MP core again, which is, I can't even believe I'm bringing this up so much, but like that sense of belonging, like it, for me, that piece and then how do you create that for other people like how do you create an environment where other people can belong and have that sense and feeling because i mean that's from like now that i have small kids it's like how do they they have a sense of belonging and that feeling and like and and then how do you create that for others i think is the other piece going forward with our lessons and like how do you how do you infuse that in um i think it's really key because there's a lot of organizations where you don't belong and you don't and and it's like that stinks, you know. So, the representation, yeah. I think, is key. Yeah. I think it's hard to be what you can't see. I totally so, agree. So yeah. I think, I personally believe, um, you know, that's why, Mike, why your book is so important. You mentioned that earlier, right? You're, you're putting this out there so that that guy at the at the next, um, I don't know what you call it in the Army, whatever, but, you know, we yeah. call it the next in the Navy. Yeah. Right? We are the next. You see Mike Stebbins' book, Black Veteran Entrepreneurship, you get excited. You know, they take that home, they read it over, they read it over a weekend, right? It's a page turner, right? Get the book. And, um, and, 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 you know, and, and then they, you know, they do their time in the military and then they end up getting out and starting a business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that representation is, 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 is extremely key. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just to start, right? But you all, you will have, now I will say you will have those outlier humans, who don't need to see anything and they still will get in their head that this is what they're going to go do and they go make that happen, right? right? But it's not about making the world comfortable for only the outliers. It's making the world comfortable for, we, we, we're trying to get, we're trying to move literally millions of people, yeah. right? Um, you know, when we talk about black veteran entrepreneurs, we're talking about there's 40 million African-Americans, you're trying to move right. literally millions of people to another level. Right. And in order to do that, you have to have some sort of representation. Right. Um, and not just the yeah. DEI, head of DEI. At the, exactly. So everything I do, everything I do, you always see the same lift as we climb, lift as we climb, lift as we climb. And this is idea of what's the point of being the only person on the mountaintop. If you look down, everybody else is in the graveyard, you know? So the idea of lifting as you climb is pulling people up with you. And so it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing of like, are we, you know, doing it? 
Um, and so honestly, for me, like I, I, I won't be around my frat brother. Sharon was starting AIN. I was like, brother, I would love to help you guys get set up a podcast because again, you know, we take it for granted that we all move in the same circles. One of our frat brother announced his run for mayor. You know, when I left East Texas to go to the Naval Academy, I didn't have no, first of all, I didn't have any black midshipmen in my phone, let alone black Harvard grads that we say these names like they're common speak, but like in our community, yeah. they're just not. And yeah. even when I got into Hoover to the Hoover yeah. program, I was all excited. Nobody cares in Newark. <laughs> I couldn't talk about it with anybody at my gym. No. You know? So it's like that, right? We, yeah. we were such outliers. And I want to add one other thing in this too, because this is a theme and, and Mike and I were, you know, we, we've kind of experienced this. I do think it's important as well, like officer and enlisted and somehow, you know, you have three officers right now talking on the podcast. I think that's something else to discuss and maybe share. Cause I often feel like that's, that's um, like feedback that we often receive as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there and, and get your thoughts on that, Mike. No, um, you're spot on. Some of the on. comments we heard, you know. Yeah. Even with the, um, so that's part of it is the self-awareness piece, right? So even me as a minority, I'm looking at my podcast, a transition. I was like, I need more young enlisted voices right i want to hear those 20 year olds that are trying to launch that sneaker collection or whatever else and so i made call to action about it but yeah. then the self-awareness comes okay what circles do we all move in you know they're not on linkedin they might be on tiktok or instagram or whatever else and so if you want those voices Discord. that's how you have yeah. to go out and you got to go reach them where they are but i think it's super important because us as officers the enlisted still look up to us, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. even that post that went viral about General Mattis that I wrote, I saw mm -hmm. so many Marines, like young Marines. Thank you, sir. You know, they, they, they see this because, you know, not all of them get to go to like the schools and stuff we go to. And so it's important for us as we build platforms, whether they're a podcast or a conference or an organization, this is your organization too. This is your platform too. This isn't just officers this is veteran exactly and I, and we've I just, got to be yeah. proactive about doing that yeah yeah and i don't know if you have any thoughts on that too yeah no i i, I mean look what, what mike what you're doing and i can't wait till we get keenan on and to talk about what he's doing again it's about moving millions of people to another level a better level than where they are right now and if you're trying to affect black veteran entrepreneurs, I threw out those stats, 22 million veterans, a good chunk, you know, overrepresentation from African-American men in that, in that group. Well, those are mainly enlisted. Let's be clear. It's not officers, right? So if we want to make a difference, we need to be investing money into African-American enlisted personnel, period, point blank, right? And the other minority, in the other minority groups, Latinos, et cetera, right? So like, that's just what needs to happen. And we need to figure that out. Um, well, there's really not a concentrated effort to help African-American officers, right? And we all kind of, but we, we do have a community and we do kind of find our way, but then we, 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 we also, I mean, separate from that, we need a, if you wanted to really put your attention effort somewhere, it would be to help those African-American enlisted personnel. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if, if you want to, if you want to make a major, major change, which I think everyone wants to do, everyone wants to see those folks be in a better place because, you know, that group is one of the largest groups of African-Americans, right? I mean, there's 40 million African-Americans of which 19 to 20 million are men. And of that, you know, a good chunk are ex-military or are in the military, 
right? Yeah. So and you think about how devastating that is when they transition out of the military and then they go back to their communities and they can't get a job or they start businesses that fail. And then like in Newark, we have a very high homeless veteran population. So when the kids in my gym think of veterans, they think mm-hmm. of downtrodden, mm-hmm. broken, yeah. right? And that's the image that we're carrying. Mm-hmm. So again, like even with this book, to be honest, that's who I'm targeting. It's for the person that wants to launch a CPG company, e-commerce right. brand, right. doesn't know where to begin. I want her to see that book and say, all right, let's get to work. Yeah. Well, and I'll also say, I think it just even this, so, you know, as a parent now, so this generation and showing, you know, our, um, our generation of parents, like the military is a wonderful opportunity for your kids and showing mm-hmm. this economic engine beyond, um, you know, beyond like even us and sort of this hope. And uh, like you said, yes, there's, there's struggles with homeless veterans and suicide and a lot of the things that we see, but like Sherman, to your point, like pushing beyond to like this vision of if your child enters the military, it is a better life forever, you know, in terms of opportunities and education and business. Right. So I think it's also this responsibility that kind of even goes beyond like right now and like, you know, showing, showing the, um, when you enlist at this age, like that is the ticket to a better life for, Mm -hmm. you know, for, or, or opportunities. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of the other piece that I think is so important in this discussion is like, you know, the, the future generations and sort of the way that they perceive the military and the way that they perceive like life post-military. And we all make those the, like in a snap of, you know, so how do you make that a positive one? I think I personally think is super important for some of this work as well. So. I, I think that, you know, the, the more I think about it, the, the thing that's most important is the will of someone. Mm-hmm. What is your grit? Right. We, we talk about with AIM, with our entrepreneurs, our founders that we invest in, do they have the leadership, determination and grit? Those last two are determination and grit. Right. Like and I think that, you know, the military, it, it, it doesn't have to just be the military. But, by, 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 you know, yeah. it, it can be sports. It can be tough academic challenges, whatever have you. Yeah. You know, do you have the will to fight when all the odds are against you? Right. Or find or just somehow message Garcia, just find a way. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I, I really get I, I really love to see examples, mm-hmm. um, whether it be boxing, you know, UFC, uh, current world affairs. If you look at the Ukrainians and the fight they're in, like those guys, those, those Ukrainian Marines are Maripol right now mm-hmm. at the time of us recording this. They're holed up. Shit does not look good. OK. But they're like, listen, we are we are here slinging and banging, like you know what I'm saying. I mean, look, I mean, it's that will to fight, and it, look, it may not work out, but the fact that you are willing against all odds to keep fighting, I do think that I bring this full circle back to the military. It, it some people don't have it in them, and they get exposed, and they end up getting they end up washing out. But I feel like a lot of people do have it in them, and what the military does a great job of is testing that will, mm-hmm. right? testing it will make and helping you realize you have this in yourself. Right. And then, you know, what, what we need to do from Mike with your black veteran entrepreneurship book, uh, us at AIN supporting uh, veteran led startups, um, as well as the other VC funds that support veteran led startups, you know, Bunker Labs, some of the groups, et cetera, is letting people know that same will that you found in yourself when you were in the military, you can take that and apply that 
to building your own business if you want to, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. read Mike's book, you read, take, you know, use other resources like from Uncle Labs, et cetera. Here goes a playbook that you can use with, through AIN. Here's a network of people you can talk to. But at the end of the day, it's still on you. There's like, there's nothing I can do for you. You got, you have to, you talk about running, you have to go out on that mile and a half run and do it under a certain amount of time. I, I can't, there's nothing I can do for you. You have to go do that two mile swim. I, there's nothing I can do for you, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the will to prepare and the will to per, to persevere when you're actually in that fight to to find to find somehow find a way. Yeah, I think that that's you know what the military does really well, um, and it, it's, it has applicability across multiple aspects of life, not just you know starting a business, just also raising a family. Um, mm-hmm. being a, you know, there's a lot of military folks that are you know, going into politics like we talked about. Yeah, no, no. Um, no. Just, just finding that way and trying to be, trying to be better. Make things better. I'm still caught on the two mile swim. Did you say two miles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a Navy thing. Okay. Maybe, yeah. uh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to like option that. With fins. Yeah. This with fins. So it's all good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but, um, but no, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that's what I think about, um, yeah. how, you know, things have to come together as far as take these lessons learned from the military. And you're right, Emily, you know, be a proponent of right. people going into the military, but then right. you can take these lessons learned and you can start right. these businesses like, like an Iron Mike Stepman. And also merging, and Sherman's heard me say this a lot, like merging onto the superhighway of civilians. I think one of my most, it's just observing other people's journeys that were not in the military and their similar examples and just hearing some of those things like, I know um, Tuck School Business has been doing a lot of work with Olympians and veterans, sort of um, showcasing how there's a lot of similarities between both um, both professions, I'll say, and just those types of things. I think there's the other piece is just observing or, you know, the civilian counterparts in some of those pieces. Because um, believe me, Sherman and I meet so many amazing, it's funny even to say the Sherman civilians, but it's also, yeah, like how do we how do we observe and compare and then take the good from both, so. There's yeah. so much knowledge. And I think yeah. even on my platforms, I bring those voices on there because they've, you got SMEs that have been hooking and jabbing while we were eating dirt, you know? And so to, to not take advantage of those, their knowledge is ego, you know? So bringing them yeah. on the platform. So yeah. entrepreneurship is another great way to bridge that civilian military divide. Yeah. Um, and I think you guys are doing it with AAN. I'm trying to do it with my book and all these other platforms. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm excited. It's just a great time to be an entrepreneur. And I hope these platforms help as many of our community uh, as yeah. possible. So where will people be able to find the book? Yeah. Repeat again when the book is going to be released. Yeah. So the book will be released in October of 2022. You'll be able to find it on Amazon. I have a website, blackbetterentrepreneurs.com. It's not live yet, but I'm an internet person. So I'm not hard to find. So uh, just follow me on LinkedIn, shoot me an email, MikeWeirIronBound.com, but you will have access to the book, I promise. Love it. Thanks, okay. Mike. That's awesome. And will you have an audio? Uh, I will. So I will do the audio book. In, uh, Are you doing a narration yourself? I am, of course. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. got to do the narration. This is going to be the first of many books. My next book is Dog Whistle Branded. That's going to be the okay. next book. So I got to wait till January of 2023 to kick that one off. Goodness. Amazing. Goodness. Amazing. Well, congrats, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so very much for sitting here listening to us uh, cover all these topics. So um, su- subscribe. We ask you to subscribe to the Those Who Dare uh, podcast on your favorite podcasting uh, host podcast hosting platform. 
including iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to today. Uh, we greatly appreciate uh, if you left us a review and shared the show with others in your network. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, AINVentures.com. Until next time, have a great rest of your week. Thank you.